University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. One of my favorite actors in Hollywood is Robert Downey Jr. He's the uh, creative force behind Marvel Cinematic Universe Iron Man, uh, the Sherlock Holmes movies, and the cult classic back from when I was a kid, Back to School. Uh, In the last several years, he has made the top ten of the highest paid actors in Hollywood lists, oftentimes topping those charts. But if you would have told most people 15 years ago that this would happen, they would have laughed in your face. In fact, 15 years ago, Robert Downey Jr. was the laughingstock of Hollywood. His addiction to drugs had him arrested on numerous occasions, and his on-set behavior turned most actors and directors off from wanting to work with him. He couldn't get hired for a movie if he had begged for it. But the actor came to a, a crossroads deciding to get help for his drug addiction. He went through painful years of therapy and treatment, and he completely changed his life. In 2007, John Favreau took a chance on the actor by casting him in the role of Tony Stark, one of my favorite comic book heroes. And the role bolstered Robert Downey Jr. back into the film industry with this completely rebranded view of himself. We're in our series, Rebranded. We've been examining that how we see ourselves and others matters. In reality, the way that we see ourselves directly correlates to the way that we see everyone else in the world. Our self-perception is one of the most challenging aspects of being human. And over the last several weeks, we have been looking at what it takes to see ourselves in a different light, such as a person who is loved and valued, rather than a person who is indistinguishable and worthless. And for this, we take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verse 45. Now, today we are celebrating Palm Sunday. And most of us, when we think of it, we think of the triumph entry on, on, on Palm Sunday with a serene image. Jesus is riding on the back of a donkey. He's adorned in bleach white robes that are recently had pressed by an ancient dry cleaner. And hundreds, if not thousands of people are rejoicing at Jesus coming into the city. But what we fail to miss out on is the picturesque image within this is that Jesus was committing an act of downright insurrection that galvanized this moment. Jesus is not coming to Jerusalem as a peaceful and quiet Messiah. This was a bold act of resistance. Jesus is rebelling against the Jewish religious system that was full of corruption and sharing bed with the overbearing might of the Roman Empire. Jesus comes into the city riding on the back of a donkey with fanfare all around him. This was the triumphal entry of a king into his city. And the triumphal entry was an act of insurrection by a king, though not a king in the way that we understand it. And as he comes into this very symbolic week of the Hebrew people, it's Passover week. It's kind of like the Super Bowl of all Jewish holidays and celebrations. Its root stretches back to the time of slavery in Egypt. God had promised the people that if they placed blood of the lamb over the door frames of their house, that the angel of death would pass over them and spare the firstborn child. The Hebrew children were saved, but the Egyptian children were not. Not exactly the funnest Bible story to teach children. (laughs) Passover was a very lively affair, though. The population of Jerusalem would have quadrupled as Jews would have made their pilgrimage to the city 
for the most important festivals of the year. Streets and alleys would have been packed with people. And people were flooding into the temple. And the temple is exactly where Jesus is heading. Now, another uh, quick biblical lesson. The temple was a vital part of the religious practices of the ancient Hebrew people. The, the temple was the center of life and the practice of their faith. And the temple was the place that all obedient Jews would travel to at least once in their lives to participate in these various festivals and celebrations. It was a, a place where sacrifices were made to God on a daily basis. And people from all over the world flocked to Jerusalem to be a part of this magnificent structure, this epicenter of faith. It's Passover. Thousands of people have been in and out of the temple to make their annual sacrifices, and it says this in verse 45. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching in the temple. Let's be clear. Uh, not to criminalize the actual business of the temple. The animal sellers, the money exchangers, were actually doing what they were authorized to do by the law to provide a service to the people. The problem was not their service. The problem was the way that they approached their business. And what Jesus has done was uncover and expose their unjust system. So imagine a good Jewish man uh, might come and present a lamb for sacrifice. He would have been told by the temple officials that this lamb has a blemish, and if he truly loves God, that he would swap it out for a pure lamb. And in turn, they would later sell that man's lamb as if it was pure and blameless to somebody else. Or let's say you came in with Roman currency. Well, the temple could not accept the image of the Roman king and God as a tie to the Hebrew God, so the money changers would have exchanged this Roman currency for Jewish shekels with a supreme upcharge. And we don't have enough time to, to truly lay out the temple's system that, that alienated people based on their gender, their nationality, their sexuality, their economic values, and their religious purity. You were literally siphoned off to sinners and outcast sections or told that you were not even worthy enough to come into the temple. To the religious leaders and the temple rulers, this was their normal to the worship participants being blindly robbed, this was their normal. But Jesus was stepping forward into this classic racketeering scheme, and how do you think he's going to respond? He's already been traveling throughout the regions, gaining the, the reputation of being a troublemaker, of ruffling the feathers of the religious centers and their leaders. He's been breaking all the rules and empowering the outcast, the poor, the marginalized, and the unclean, telling them that God loves and values them. So let's not paint an innocent brush over this passage. Jesus was angry. The practices of the temple had become so distorted beyond recognition that Jesus sought to purify it by ridding it of its malicious and corrupt elements. Jesus wants to destroy the commerce itself. And not for the first time, but for the thousandth time, God has chosen justice. If God is chosen between, has to choose between worship and justice, God chooses justice every time. You can just hear the message of the prophet Isaiah when he said, God has said to us, I have enough of your sacrifices, your festivals, your acts of worship. They are empty and meaningless in sincerity. Wash and make yourself clean. Stop doing wrong. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the orphan and the widow. 
Jesus puts on the attributes of a prophet who has gone before him. He, he's putting a proverbial stick of dynamite in the middle of the religious and societal and political corruption, and then he lights a match. Jesus' response was to uncover and expose their unjust system. And, and we do not have temple systems in our lives. A closely connected religious and political center that binds us to taxation and tithing and spiritual authority. However, in many ways, we can connect to the feeling associated with an unjust system. There are, are many things in each of our lives that lead us into a place with this powerful feeling of, of weakness and powerlessness and subjugation. Just, just think about all the different areas of your life in which there is an opportunity to feel powerless, whether it's from work or a career or relationships or friendships or health or fitness or age, whether being too young or too old. The tension within our culture right now is, is pitting side against side, forcing people to find a place in the climate of, of these political causes, people to feel a sense of weakness and subjugation. And even in faith, as we can see from our text, religions can create a sense of powerlessness within us. And then there's the universal experience of this COVID-19 crisis that has, has changed our lives in so many countless, uncompromising ways. The, the feeling of powerlessness comes with a, a cocktail of emotions from sadness and shame, from helplessness to anger, from embarrassment to disappointment, from frustration to vulnerability. And for many, there might have always been that undercurrent that you just can't do this. I can't change my circumstances. This is just how it's always going to be. Sometimes people feel powerless and helpless because they've been regularly invalidated or treated as incomplete. And it can be incredibly challenging to know how much power and influence you actually have on your life. Powerlessness is that feeling of an inability to exercise our free will when it comes to expressing our opinions and making decisions and asserting our personal choices. And, and we might feel we have no influence over others who, who seem disregard our freedom and our independence. I like how one person illustrated the feeling of powerlessness. He said, have you ever got a piece of tape stuck together? We've all been there before. We get a piece of tape, and the tape is something uh, together when... when when all of a sudden, oops, it starts to stick side to side. And, and, and with a panic, you helplessly tried to unstick itself, but you just, you just make it worse. And now you have this crumpled piece of tape that you can no longer do anything with. It's a universal feeling that comes from tape, uh, this feeling of powerlessness. How, how, it can be, uh, how much power can be unleashed in such a simple thing? You see, powerlessness is this inherently threatening thing to our psychological well-being. If a century of psychological science has taught us anything about the fundamental, fundamental issues of the human mind, it's that we learn for the feeling of control in our lives. A, a rudimentary desire for self-determination may have emerged deep in our evolutionary history, and while we have often think about other creatures exercising their free will, many species suffer when their autonomy is taken from them. In fact, for almost a century, scientists have known that the simply, uh, simply restricting an animal's movement will result in a marked stress response. 
although there's no threat to their physical injury, the ability to move and act freely leads to a release of hormones like adrenaline and cortisol, and it quick, quickens our heartbeat and, and the formation of gastric ulcers within our body. People who report feeling uh, little power in their lives tend to show a greater risk of illness and death. So maybe the ancient story isn't as foreign as it first appears. The story continues into the upcoming verses as Jesus teaches in the temple and verbally clashes with the religious elite. The undertone of the text, uncovering and exposing the unjust system, continues as we're introduced to this other key figure in chapter 21, verse 4. And Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. Jumping into the context of this passage, Jesus is in the middle of this heated debate with the religious leaders in the temple when they, they witnessed two acts of giving, the rich and a poor widow. The temple was the central economic institution in Jerusalem. They would have been many different uh, giving stations within the temple, all determined by the type of offering one was giving and the particular gender and class and race of the person giving. And so it's oh so important that we recognize who this woman is. For one, she is poor. The poor were the majority in Jesus' day. The poor were overwhelmingly taken advantage of in Jesus' day by both the government and the religious system. Second, she is a poor widow. The Hebrew law described a widow as silent, unable to speak, left out of the prospects of their inheritance. Widows became the stereotypical symbol of exploitation and oppression in Jesus' day. And in Jesus' day, widows would have been routinely oppressed in the disguise of religious piety. She would have given towards an unjust religious and economic system, a system that was set up against her, and yet the irony was that the Hebrew religious system was set up to defend the cause of the oppressed, such as the widow. And it says this in verse 3, And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For all, they all, out of their surplus, put into the offering. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Despite what is being done to her, this woman is giving more with less. I love how Eugene Peterson translates the words of Jesus. The plain truth is that this widow has given by far the largest offering today. All these others made offerings that they will never miss. She gave extravagantly from what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. Jesus witnesses this woman throw in two small copper coins. These coins would have been called a lepta. Just to give you a little perspective, it would take 128 leptas to make up a day's worth of wages. And she only threw in two. So she's basically giving nothing of value to the temple. And yet at the same time, she is throwing in her two copper coins. There are rich people throwing more money worth far more than she has given. And yet Jesus says that she gave more than all of them because out of her poverty, she put in all that she can live on. More can also be translated better, deeper, greater. She gave more with less. See, Jesus is continuing to take the mindset and systems of this world, and, and he's turning it 
upside down, and he's, he's shaking it and putting it back in the way that God intended. And as in this case, the value of a gift is, is not measured by monetary worth, but by intention. See, Jesus' journey into Jerusalem, the subsequent controversies at the temple, and, and the significance of this moment with a poor widow show us emphatically that God desires to give us more. While, while people and systems and organizations and culture and circumstances make us feel powerless, weak, and subjugated, God desires for us to feel empowered for our life. And, and this is a gift from God, not just when we follow God in faith. Instead, it is intrinsically embedded within our existence. God created us with strengths and gifts and personalities to navigate our life journey. We do not need permission from God to feel empowered and capable, for that's something that God already created within us, woven into the fabric of our being as beloved creatures of a loving creator. And yet we allow circumstances and people, and maybe even ourselves, to convince us that we do not have what it takes to rise up and to face the challenges of our life. But as Christopher Robbins said to Pooh Bear, you are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. In the coming days, the, the tension will begin to build over these three years of Jesus' ministry that will come to a breaking point in which the religious leaders will conspire to have Jesus arrested, to, uh, tortured, and, and executed. And in the mere hours before Jesus' imminent demise, John tells us that with Jesus, he gathered with his disciples in the upper room for a meal and teaching. And the tension of this moment is palpable as Jesus yet again reminds the disciples of his faith. And yet in this moment, Jesus begins to teach the disciples about the power and strength of God that will be with them even after he is gone. Jesus teaches them about the Holy Spirit, saying that it will be God's Spirit that will fill them with confidence and power, reminding them and emboldening them to follow in the way that Jesus had taught them, and giving them all they need to face grief and hardship that they will encounter in life. There is this beautiful and formational line from John 16, 33, in which Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What, what a powerful claim being made from the one who is about to go through the most terrible chapter of powerlessness and subjugation and weakness, his arrest, his torture, and his execution. You see, God gives us the abiding presence in the Holy Spirit. And while we are created by God and endowed by God with strengths and gifts and personality needed to live our lives, it is the Spirit of God that ignites all of these things to see us thrive in our lives. I began by the sermon by talking about the rise and fall of Hollywood's, one of Hollywood's great actors. And the disappointing irony of, of people's general love for this actor is the fact that most of these people reveled in his failures years before. Our culture thrives on people's failings. We tend to do this with people, especially famous people. We want them to fail and to fall short. Somehow it makes us feel better about ourselves. And our culture doesn't just do it with famous people, but think of all the ways that we demonize those 
that make bad choices, that face addiction, that fail. We tend to discard them, no longer seeing them as useful and worthy of our time, our tension, and our resources. And oh, the irony is that when these beliefs and perspectives come from America's Christian population, lest we forget that it was Jesus who filled the pages of the Gospels with people just like this. They were the lame, the deaf, the blind, the leprous, the diseased, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the second-rate races, the social outcasts, the religious heretics, and the widows throwing in two copper coins. And despite the religious, the political, the cultural, and the economic systems and how they treated them, Jesus picked them up, dusted them off, loved them, and empowered them to become God's agents of goodness and change in the world. Don't, don't miss this. God chose the unwanted to make the most significant impact in the world. So can you believe today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you are empowered? Can you follow Jesus in, into faith, in, in a life of strength and courage? Can you believe today that you are empowered to contribute something valuable to your life, to your family, to your friendships, to your community, to your church, and to this world? You are empowered by the gifts and strengths embedded within you to face the challenges of this world. You are empowered to see and to do something about the many unjust and unfair systems that do not affect your life, but the lives of your neighbors, especially those that don't look like you, believe like you, and live life like you. Palm Sunday is an extraordinary day in which we see Jesus beginning to dismantle the corrupt and unjust religious, economic, political, and social systems of his day as an act of defiance and the empowerment of a woman like this poor widow. It is a day that points us to Friday, knowing that these systems rejected the notion of God's way arresting and crucifying Jesus. And yet, one week from today, we see the strength of the Spirit resurrecting Jesus from the dead. You are empowered by the same Spirit to live your life with freedom and strength and purpose. You are empowered by the Spirit to take on the many challenges of your life. You are empowered by the Spirit to love your neighbor, not just with words, but with action and in truth. Or to borrow the words again from Christopher Robin, you are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. You are empowered. Let's enter into a time of silent reflection and response.